0: of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, mother to us all. Amen. I've got to get out of here. I've got to clear my head, get away from the crowds, away from leaders who don't get my message away from those who misinterpret what I'm doing, what I'm teaching. I've got to get out of here. So after a whirlwind of healing, healing men with unclean spirits and possessed by demons, lepers, the paralyzed, a hemorrhaging woman, the sick brought to him on mats in Genesaret, so many people surrounded by so many desperate, sick people. After calling disciples and teaching about the kingdom that is coming and that God is larger, more loving, more forgiving than they had realized, after feeding the 5,000 and having crumbs, 12 baskets of them left over from five loaves only, after all of that, all in attempt to fulfill his mission to announce good news to the children of Israel, the small band of faithful always in danger, now in the shadow of the Roman Empire, he's in big trouble with the religious leaders. He challenged them directly in front of the crowds, promising the people that they cannot be made unclean or impure by food they eat or by whether they wash their hands. He promises that the only thing that can make them Impure is what is in their hearts. And now he's worried, worried that it's about to get hot for him at home, so he heads north, north and right into the heart of impurity, Gentile territory, north to Tyre, where the rich Gentiles can be cruel and oppressive, even violent to Jews there, but... At least there, he can have some time alone where he won't be recognized. He won't be followed by crowds. He can let the Pharisees and the scribes cool down a bit. He can nurse the hurt caused by his own people not getting the message he has for them of even his own town rejecting him. He's certain of his mission. He knows it's to his people, it's to Israel, but he needs some time to clear his head to figure out what's next. So Jesus walks. Jesus walks 35 miles, 12 hours to get away from all of that. I've got to get out of here. I've got to clear my head. I've got to get away from this house, from the screaming, the smell of the sick room, the daughter who never gets better the neighbors who are judging us. After months of caring for a daughter who is ill, not just ill, but maybe, how do I admit this, maybe filled with an unclean spirit, a demon. After realizing that her wealth, couldn't protect her. Her Greek-educated doctors don't know what to do. No one knows what to do. Not her Syrian or her Canaanite family, not the Jewish peasants who work for her. She's desperate. Her daughter's ill, getting worse, and there are no answers. She heads out, out to look for what, a miracle? As she wanders aimlessly about town, dipping into shops, letting her fingers trail along the goods that the Israelite merchants have on offer, she listens in on some of their gossip, catching snatches of sentences. Healer. Fed 5,000 with five loaves. Crowds mob him. Miracles. Demons driven out. Finally, she interrupts their conversation. Who are you talking about? What's going on? And the Jews look shocked. Why should this Syro-Phoenician woman, the one with all the money who never talks to them, why should she care? But she's asking, so they tell her. Jesus of Nazareth is here. The story is that he heals people. He feeds people. He's gathering quite a crowd around him down south, Though the leaders are upset with him. Now he's here, we just saw him go into that house. She whirls around, she drops her shopping basket, rushes to where the miracle worker is staying. She knows it's ridiculous. She doesn't believe in miracles. She doesn't think much of Israel and their religion. She knows that the unsophisticated Jews have the audacity to look down on her and her people, the Gentiles calling them dogs behind their backs. But if this man can heal, if this man can heal, she doesn't care who he is or what he calls her. The meeting. He's come to hide. She enters the house. Israelite and Syrophoenician stare at one another, Jew and Gentile, poor and rich, a messiah on the run, a stranger in her land, a desperate mother willing to humble herself for her sick daughter. She kneels down. Sir, I hear you are a healer. My daughter is sick. She has a demon. Jesus, exhausted, trying to regroup to go back to the children of Israel, those so in need of good news, so in need of salvation, those he knows will lead to the good of the world if he can only get them to listen. Exhausted, Jesus explains, I'm sorry. I've got to care for my own, the children of Israel first. I can't give away the food I have for them to others, to Gentiles, dogs. They, you, can be fed later. The woman doesn't even flinch. She can see this man has what she needs, even if he thinks that he has what he has is for his own people first. But she can't wait. She'd rather have crumbs now than wait for a full meal later. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. For she's heard about this man, his healing, his feeding, his bread. When he feeds 5,000 from five loaves, there are 12 baskets of crumbs left over, 12. He may not even realize it, but there's enough for all right now. He can feed Israel and have plenty left over for the Gentiles. In an instant, the two have simultaneous revelations. This is more than a miracle worker. This is the Messiah. My mission is not only for Israel but also for the whole world. She is changed. He is changed. Her daughter is healed. And Jesus expands his mission going further into impurity, into Gentile territory, no longer hiding, but entering more deeply into his ministry of mercy as he heals a deaf and mute man laying hands right on him, putting his fingers into his ears, placing his own spit onto the tongue of the man. Now there's no separation. There's no distance between Jesus and well, anyone. This is a mysterious encounter. Is it possible that Jesus, fully human, fully divine, changes because of this encounter? That he learned something about himself, about what it means to be Messiah, son of God, because of the pleas of a desperate mother, a woman wealthier than him, a Gentile foreign to him and his religion? Is it possible that we have learned something from this encounter? That we must go boldly in prayer to God. That even when we think we are undeserving, even when we are uncertain, there is enough, more than enough to sustain us, enough grace, enough love, enough mercy. We are all outsiders and beggars. We are all desperate mothers. We are all the deaf man, none of us deserving for what would it even mean to deserve something of God. Yet we receive abundant grace through the unrelenting mercy of God. Not crumbs from the table, but full loaves, heavy and fragrant. This story is why we Anglicans and many others have prayed the prayer of humble access for over 500 years before we receive bread from this table. This prayer sorely missing from our Eucharist in rite two is still found in rite one on page 337 of your prayer books, and it's still prayed silently by Anglicans everywhere before they receive communion. And today I commend it to you. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Thou art the same Lord, whose property it is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty.
1: In the diocesan cycle of prayer, we are asked to pray for St. Paul's in Richmond, and for their senior warden, George Eastman, and their deacon, the Reverend Barry Kramer. I ask your prayers for the Anglican Communion, and for our sister diocese of Brasilia, and for the people and diocese of Haiti and St. Andre's School in Misson. I ask your prayers for all persons named on our prayer list and for those you bring on your hearts and minds today. I ask your prayers for the repose of the souls of all persons who have lost their lives to gun violence. I ask your thanksgiving for the lives of those parishioners celebrating their birthdays this week, including David Dumond and John Stark Weaver. The altar flowers are given to the glory of God. Are there other intercessions or thanksgivings? let us pray for the church and for the world grant almighty god that all who confess your name may be united in your truth live together in your love and reveal your glory in the world lord in your mercy guide the people of this land and of all the nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all whose lives are closely linked with ours, and grant that we may serve Christ in them, and love one another as he loves us. Lord, in your mercy, comfort and heal all those who suffer in body, mind, or spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, in your mercy, we commend to your mercy all who have died, that your will for them may be fulfilled. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy.
0: Hear our and fulfill our petitions, we pray, not as we ask in our ignorance, nor as we deserve in our sinfulness, but as you know and love us in your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
1: Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. against you.